Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we just want to thank you and bless you for the entrance of your word. It brings light, it illuminates our hearts, it breaks yokes, it lifts burdens, it challenges us, sometimes chastises us. Uh, it, it makes us more like your son, Jesus. Let it do this and more, Heavenly Father, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Last week we did a, a, a series, well, no, no, no series. We, 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 ha- we, we shared a sermon which we titled The Silent Killer. Um, the, today, as a sort of continuation, um, if you want a title for today's sermon, uh, it is Avoiding a Fatal Heart Attack. Yeah, Avoiding a Fatal Heart Attack. And the centerpiece of what we shared yes, last week revolved around the heart. Uh, if, if, if you remember a quick, I mean, Ayo did a good job a quick whiz through, we spoke about certain symptoms, 15 of them uh, symptoms, uh, that if we saw in the same way that you would see certain symptoms uh, and medically the doctors would want to check for something. Um, so we talked about, about high blood pressure in a natural sense being the silent killer. And then when you have these symptoms of headaches and blurred vision, nosebleeds, shortness of breath, um, the first thing the doctors want to do is check your blood pressure to make sure that uh, you, have, you haven't somehow slipped into having a high blood pressure without knowing. And we, 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 in a natural sense, high blood pressure is called the silent killer because so many people unfortunately die from high blood pressure because sometimes the symptoms are not so obvious. Um, and so we spoke about those, those symptoms. And we said, in a spiritual sense, there are also symptoms that should make us ask a question when we find those symptoms. And we went on to say that the fundamental problem is really a heart problem. Um, and we, we then looked at the scripture out of Proverbs 4, verse 23. And that's where I just want to carry on today. Proverbs 4 verse 23. Um, we'll look at that scripture in at least three or four um, um, Bible versions. Uh, Proverbs 4 verse 23 in the New King James Version. It says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. Uh, be diligent to keep your heart. For out of it spring the issues of life. Yeah? Everything to do with life, the issues of life come from the heart. So keep it is the instruction uh, with all diligence. And then um, same scripture in the New Living Translation says, God. So one says keep your heart. This one says guard your heart above all else. It's the most important thing. That's what the Bible is saying. Above everything else, guard your heart. You know, be on guard concerning your heart. 
is, and, the, and the scriptures go on to say, for it determines the cause of life. It is so important that not just that, the, it isn't just that the issues of life flow from it, it actually determines the cause of life. That's how important it is. And so the instruction was guard it. And you know, the Passion Translation says, So above all, guard again the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Isn't that amazing? That, that everything that you are, whatever you will be, starts from this place, the heart. And so guard it, keep it, because all that you are will come from that place, the heart. And then the Passion Translation puts puts it even more clearly for us. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Very graphic picture. The wellspring of life flows from that place, from your heart. So make sure you pay attention to it. For if the wellspring is polluted, there is a problem with a person's life. And you can go on and look at other versions. You would find them interesting. The NIV version says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. So above all else, priority, number one thing, you've got to secure your heart. Keep it, guard it, be diligent to protect it. Because all that you are, all that you do, the cause your life takes, all stems from there. Now, of course, when we hear this, our first inclination is to think heart as we know it. This muscle in our, in our bodies that they tell us is the size of a fist and sits on the left side of our chest that pumps blood around the body. The blood carries oxygen primarily and other nutrients. Once this heart stops beating, the person's life is over. That's why if there's an accident, one of the first things the, me the medics will do is check the person's pulse because they want to know that the heart is still beating because as long as the heart is still beating, then there's hope. But if the heart stops beating, blood is not being pumped around the, the, human, the human body, no oxygen is being carried around, then the person is dead because the heart has stopped beating. And that's why the medics will pay a lot of attention to the heart, frankly, above all else. Because if the heart goes or if the heart is afflicted by a, a heart disease and is not dealt with or controlled, it could have consequences and sometimes fatal consequences. And so they will pay attention to the heart to make sure the heart is not diseased in any way so that we don't move on to the consequences of the diseased heart, angina, a stroke, a heart attack, and sometimes, sadly, a fatal heart attack. 
But when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about that muscle that is in us. It's talking about a spiritual heart. Guard your heart. Protect your heart. Be diligent to take care of your heart. It's talking about a spiritual heart. What the Passion Translation helps us understand where it says the innermost being, that inner man. It's what I call the central processing system of every human being. It's the command center. It's not the physical heart, but it's the place where our mind, our will, and our emotions reside. It's the place that determines all that we do, as the scriptures tell us. It's the place from which we make all life decisions. So there is the physical heart. But then there's also another heart that the wise King Solomon was saying to us, guard above all else, protect, take care of. And it's that central command center that determines everything in life, the cause of life, the decisions we make, the way we think. And so the instruction was protect it, guard it. And the Bible calls that our heart. And it's interesting because the Bible also makes clear that when God looks at us, that's the place God looks to. Not the physical heart, but that heart that I've just described. That's what he sees. Not all the external things. So you know, you remember the story when they, when, 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 uh, they were going to choose a king from Jesse's home. And all those who had all the correct attributes... The, the, physic, the, the physical attributes, the bearing of kings, all passed before Samuel, the, the, the prophet. And even the prophet Samuel was deceived by what he saw. And thank God for his relationship with God, because God kept speaking to him and saying, no, not this one, not this one, not this one. And you remember what God said to him, that... Men judge on, by the outward appearance, but I judge, I search, I look into the heart. When he says, I'm looking into the heart, he's not looking into the physical heart, this muscle that is pumping blood through my body. No, he's looking into this heart I've described, the place of the mind, the will, the emotions, the place where decisions are made. The place that shapes a person, that determines a person's cause of life. He's looking in there. You know, he says in, in, in Jeremiah 17 verse 10, he says, The Lord searches all hearts. Not this physical heart, but this heart I've described. He searches it and then examines secret motives. There are no secret motives in my physical heart. It's just a muscle that is doing its job. But in this other heart, that's where motives are formed. Thoughts reside. Intent resides. So God searches there to see what the motives are 
for our actions? Why are we doing the things we do? And then it says, he gives people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. What is the Bible saying? The actions come from that place, that heart. The things we do come from there. The things we say come from, come, come from there. So when the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not the physical heart. It's this, this spiritual heart, this place of the, the mind, the will, the emotions. Out of there, a person speaks. If my emotions are damaged, you will hear it in my words. If I am wounded, you will hear it in my words. If, 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 my, if my mind is messed up, you just have to hang around me long enough. You will hear it. I will speak from that place. I will act from that place. It will determine the cause of my life. And so, of course, what does the enemy do? Because that is the most important place. Above all else, protect it. The enemy now spends time trying to make sure he damages it. John 10 verse 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Thank God for the latter part. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But in stealing, killing, and destroying, he must deploy his best forces, his best efforts to making sure that he can damage the heart. He can introduce a virus into the heart. He can cause the heart to be diseased. Because he knows once I do that, it's just a matter of time before the rest of the life falls apart. Because that heart determines the cause of life. And so last week we spoke about certain symptoms. You know, doctors, the way doctors work, it's not that they know everything. But they see certain signs and it makes them say, if these signs are there, we want to check this. So there are certain signs. They tell us all the signs for the COVID virus. That's, that, that's the most recent. Say if you have an, a, a continuous cough, if you have phlegm in your chest, if you have a fever. How many know that if you go to a doctor, 21st century, July, in this world, and say to the doctor, I've been coughing for the last month and, month and a half. I'm just coughing. I don't know what's wrong. And I've also had this fever just a terrible fever, the worst fever that I've had. And I, I feel pains in my body, doctor. And doctor, you know what? I'm a bit short of breath. How many know that the doctor is going to be backing away as you're telling him all this? Because you are telling him that you have, you've got the COVID virus. And it doesn't have to be a, a specialist doctor. Frankly, he doesn't even have to be a doctor. If you told me that, I'll be praying for you as I'm stepping back, you know, just praying, God heal her, you know, but I don't necessarily need to exercise my faith by standing in your space so that you can breathe the virus onto me. Then I'm binding and losing. It's so, so unnecessary. I, I just step out of your space. Because with all these symptoms, I don't have to be 
uh, a consultant to know that more, and then you end it by telling me, and I, my, my chest feels, feels congested. When I cough, I cough out a lot of phlegm. I don't need to call the doctor. You must have COVID. Go and do a test. So there are certain symptoms that beg a question. And we ran through some of those symptoms that beg a question as to, I hope my heart is not diseased. And we ran through some of those symptoms. Quickly run through them again. Number one, when a person's Christian work has become routine, mundane, dull, dry. Number two, when a person has lost passion, fire, zeal for the things of God. Number three, when a person no longer lives by faith or takes steps of faith. The person's decision-making rests solely in their intellect and their natural senses determine which way they go. Number four, where a person is overwhelmed by anxiety and worry about life and the things of life. Number five, when a person has dropped off with regards to their service for God. Their service in the house of God. Number six, where a person's giving of time, talent, and treasure has diminished. They can see clearly that I would give more of myself a month, two months, three months, two years, five years, ten years ago, but it has clearly diminished my giving of time. I'm now so busy building a career, building a business, getting on with life. In the early days, I would give my talent, the skills that God has given me, but there just isn't any time, pastor, to do that anymore. And right now, I question everything to do with giving out of my treasure. I have all the excuses. I don't, I don't give my tithes anymore because, you know, these churches and these this, this churches, these pastors, have you seen his nice blue shoes? He could have used my tithe to buy those nice blue Prada shoes that he's wearing. Don't give your tithes. I'm not talking about these ones, incidentally. <laughs> don't give your, your tithes. They don't steward it correctly. Don't give your tithes. Haven't you heard that tithes is, is, is the law? We're in the age of grace. Why are they always making a call for, for, for people who, who they say are, need charity? Don't they know that I am, a, I am a charity myself? People should be giving to me. Number seven, you're struggling with the spiritual disciplines. The reading of the Bible is non-existent. Or it is ad hoc. And even then, it's a chore. It's a lot easier to watch reality television. Worship is dry. You come to church and you, you know, I know what song Job is going to sing. He always goes this order. 
Prayer is non-existent. Or even if it exists, it's a struggle. Number eight, there's no excitement about telling others about your faith, about your God. You, you look at yourself and you say, when was the last time I genuinely told somebody about my God or my faith? These are all symptoms that the heart might be diseased. Number nine, you're not sharing testimonies and your testimony. So you're not sharing testimonies about what God has done. Frankly, you're not even attributing it to God anymore. It's the doctor. It's your skill. It's that you, you, you said the right things at the interview. Is that your, your CV is the kind that nobody can resist. God has fallen off completely. You're not like the psalmist constantly looking back and thanking God for making that way, for turning, turning things around, for, for causing that, your path to cross. It, it, there are other people and other things that are responsible. Number 10, you're struggling with fear. And you know, there's a certain level of fear that is it, it, not necessarily what I'm talking about, but, but fear has become a companion. It's a part of your life. Sometimes paralyzed by it. The fear of the future, the fear of sickness, the fear of failure. And the list is endless. Where you're just overcome by fear. Paralyzed by it. Where you are not content with life. That phrase, godliness with contentment, is alien to you. You're constantly striving, wanting to be like the Joneses, constantly trying to catch up. And you know, the irony with not being content is that if you don't settle it, that's, that's the person's life's life. Because there's always somebody ahead of you. Always somebody ahead of you. Where you find loving others a challenge. Just a challenge to love. The whole concept of loving people who are difficult to love is alien. Number 13, where you don't have joy. That's who we are. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's the beauty of the Christian faith. This is what, what, what people who are not Christians don't, they can't get their head around it. We're all in the same mess. We're all struggling. We're all facing the same economic conditions. But somehow, how do you have joy in the midst of all this? Our response should be, it's the joy of the Lord and that's my strength. For us, we should always see the glass as half full, never half empty. Number 14, you're overcome and overwhelmed by life circumstances. You're just not coping. 
you feel like you're drowning in the sea of life. And number 15, you struggle to obey the word of God. Now, any of those symptoms, more than one of them, a number of them, as the doctor in the house, I would be saying to you, can we check your heart? Because it might be diseased. And the, the Bible actually tells us in six, with six different types of hearts, a diseased heart. And these six types of heart, you will fit in any one of those 15 symptoms into these six type, types of hearts. The first one is a deceitful heart. Now, you know, with what I'm sharing with you is painful introspection. Some people just won't be able to do it because they can't shine that kind of light into their hearts. I'm hoping that you will be able to, just so that God can move us to the next stage. A deceitful heart. Psalms 12 verse 2, New Living Translation. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. Neighbors, they lie to each other. They speak with flattering lips and there's deception in their hearts. There's duplicity. There's scheming. There's manipulation. Neighbors, sometimes husband and wife, as, as close neighbors as that. And the term neighbors doesn't mean the person who lives next door to you in a biblical sense. It means all those that you have relationships with. So when you check your heart and you, 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 you find that, you know, Many years ago, there's a girl I meant, a lady, I, well, a girl I mentor. And I just was fascinated as to how she just told lies for no reason. So one day, it's a true story. One day, she just said something and I knew it wasn't true. And I said to her that, you know, you, this is fascinating. Because people tell lies to cover up things. You just... You just, tell, you just tell lies for no reason. So it told me that there was something wrong with her heart. And you know, when you hear this kind of message, the tendency is to think it's others. But check, let's check our hearts. Where you shade the, the truth a bit. It's not really a lie. Tell them I'm not at home. Mm, why are you laughing at yourself? No, that's not really it. That, surely that can't be what the Bible means with uh, lies. Lies, you know, lies are lies. Are you going this way? No, 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 I'm going the other way. And then you drive the way that the person asked. Right? And you're coming from church. You're coming from church. The wife says to the husband, 
Is this what you're thinking? Is exactly what is on his mind. He says, no, no, that's not what I'm thinking. How can that be what I'm thinking? No, no, no. A deceitful heart. Number two, a hard heart. Proverbs 28, verse 14. Happy is the man who is always reverent. New King James Version. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. It's a one-way street. The hardened heart will lead to calamity. The Passion Translation puts it this way. Overjoyed is the one who with tender heart trembles before God. That's the kind of heart God looks for. The tender heart that will, that will vibrate at his frequency. It says, but the stubborn, unyielding heart will experience even greater evil. Again, the tendency is to, when we see such words as stubborn, unyielding, evil, I mean, surely it cannot be you. But then let's check our hearts because there can be parts of our hearts that are hardened to God. We can make Jesus our Savior and be on our way to heaven without really having made him our Lord. So the question is, is he Lord in every area of my heart? Have I yielded every area of my heart? And how I know I have yielded every area of my heart is that the decisions in those areas are not mine. I don't make them. He makes them. And I execute them by his grace. Where the husband has hardened his heart towards his wife. And I was talking to a lovely couple yesterday, my, my wife and I, you know, lovely couple that we mentor and we love. And one of the things we were saying is that it's amazing, Mark, how the Christian is so selective. We say, with God, nothing shall be impossible. But pastor, this my wife, she cannot change. I'm saying, make up your mind. Either nothing is impossible Or there are things that are possible with God, but not to touch my husband. That one is beyond God. So the heart is hardened. And you can tell a hardened heart by what the mouth speaks. When you step into the area of a person's hardened heart, the vitriol that comes out, the way the person responds will tell you that that area is hardened. Number three, a proud heart. Proverbs 21 verse 4. A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. You know, it's interesting when we think about sin. You know, we think about the ones that we've elevated in our minds. One of the worst sins as far as God is concerned, if there can be worst. Just permit me to use that, that language to draw this out. Is the sin of pride. There's just something about pride that God hates. 
He actually says it, that he hates pride. And I think it's because it, it must remind him of Satan. That's exactly what Satan had. Why can't I be like you? God, are you the only one? I'm going to elevate myself. And interestingly, he hadn't done anything. He thought it in his heart and he got the consequences of it. So let's not think that God does not look into the heart and take action on the basis of what is that. The Bible says Satan thought he would be. It was a thought. And the, the, the severe judgment of God came down on him. A proud heart. The Passion Translation says, Proverbs 21 verse 4, Arrogance, superiority, and pride are the fruits of wickedness and the true definition of sin. That's why if you want to walk with God and please Him, you must have as your focus humility. You must have it. And you know, people can help you into sin. So you deserve it after you've, you've worked so hard. No, you deserve it. I run away from people who tell me I deserve anything. I deserve nothing. What do I deserve? Nothing. So you're so beautiful. It's an eternal beauty. Should have been a model. And all that is sowing seeds. You're, you're brilliant. Brilliant. Your brain. Your intellect. Power excellence. None like it. Say, don't come and kill me. Or when God gives you a grace and you don't realize that it's a grace from God that is totally unmerited. He just handed it to you. The more you appreciate God's graces, God's gifts that he has given you, the more humble you should become. When you look at the world today, it's, it's just arrogance and pride. It's a sick heart. Number four, an unbelieving heart. Hebrews 3 verse 12. So search your hearts every day. Search your hearts every day. The Passion Translation. Search your hearts every day. My brothers and sisters, and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you, for it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. That's what will happen if there's unbelief there. It will lead you into religion. And you know, religion is an interesting thing. You'll tick all the boxes, but really, your heart, your life is unresponsive to God. And the church is full of a lot of religious people. Whose lives have, bless you, whose lives have become unresponsive to God because there is unbelief. You, you know, when you, when you talk about an unbelieving heart, you know, the first thing people think about is I'm a believer, so that doesn't concern me. No, 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 no. There, there's a new phenomenon in the 21st century church, the unbelieving believer. The only reason I'm overcome by anxiety and worries is because there's a, there's a disease of unbelief in my heart.
Because if I believed what God said, I should take a chill pill. If I believe all these things in the Bible, I, I should relax. So we must be able to come to the point where we say, you know, God, I believe to an extent, but help my unbelief. An unbelieving heart. Uh, a heart that can't walk by faith, in faith. And what is this faith thing? It's just trusting God. My brother, trust God. And it, it's instructive when Jesus went to Nazareth. He'd been doing amazing miracles everywhere. Crazy miracles. And he gets to his own hometown. Where you would have naturally expected that he would do the most miracles. Frankly, if I was watching the script unfold, I would have taken advantage, sat, sat in a vantage position to watch because you're, 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 you're tied to your hometown. You want, to, you want to do the most in your hometown. You know, and if you're, if you're in the natural, you want, to, you want to be recognized in your hometown. Not that Jesus had that issue. So he arrives there, and what does the Bible say? The Bible says in Matthew 13, verse 58, he couldn't do much there because of their unbelief. They just didn't believe it. Their senses killed their belief in him. They said, this is, come on. Huh? This is a carpenter's son. We know him. We know his sisters. We know his parents. What's all this stuff about him being Messiah? Messiah? Savior? Savior? This boy who grew up round the corner. And it's, it's the same way that they treated the word that we also treat the word. So the same way that they, they, they belittled the word, they, they, they just didn't have trust in the word. The question we ask ourselves is, do, you, do we have trust in the word of God? Do we elevate the word of God to where it should be? The word of God. God spoke. A lot of running around trying to hear God. A lot of going to funny places so people can hear God for you. Why don't you take the one he has, he has said and spoken first and at least hear that one? Read that one and hear him. When I read the Bible... I read the Bible as if God is talking to me. So every day, I hear God. Someone says, do you hear God? I say, every day. Say, when do you hear him? I say, I start when I open the Bible. I don't just say uh, uh, Genesis 1 verse 1, and then you read it like you're reading some unrelated storybook. No, no, no. I open the Bible, and really in my heart, I'm saying, God, speak to me. Speak to me from this word. Because if I don't believe that word, I limit what God can do in my life, through my life and through me. Number five, a cold heart. Matthew 24 verse 12. There will be such an increase, this is what, was, what, what, we enter, what we are in, and it will increase. 
as we come towards the end of the ages. This is the Passion Translation. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. The Bible says at one time, these people's hearts burned with passion. They were zealous for God. We use them as examples of passion and zeal and fire. They were templates for what it is to serve God with all your heart. And because of their passion for God, they had passion for others. They cared. They served. They poured out themselves. They went beyond the boundaries of duty. And I see that as the pastor of a church. At one time in this church, we would say, oh, we have 650, 700 volunteer workers. We only see the 600 when we do something where we are eating. It's the truth. But on a Sunday, are you going to see them? No. Are you going to see them during the week? No. At one time, did you see them? Yes. Because at one time, they were passionate on fire. You didn't have to say, do this. And they were so much on fire that you couldn't box them in one ministry or one team or one department. They understood that is my father's business. So whilst I'm assigned this, I can also get involved here and there. But as time went on, the fire waned, the zeal reduced, the passion began to diminish, the heart started getting cold. It's a sign of a disease. And number six, the last one, an unclean heart. I think there would be a major shock in any congregation if we could plug, doc, maybe we should invent something, where we pl you come into church and we plug an appliance to your heart and show your heart on the screen. How many know that the church will reduce by 70%? Because you don't know what is on people's hearts. person is lifting holy hands holy in inverted commas, but on the heart are some naked women dancing kokoma. <laughs> yeah, just how it works. He meets, he meets, he meets, he meets Fiona in, 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 the, in the foyer. I say, oh, hello, my sister. But his heart has undressed her. The heart is just not clean. And it's not just clean in terms of sexually unclean. It's, clean with, it's unclean with jealousy. It's unclean with, with impure thoughts and language. Oh, I like your hair. What is it? Brazilian? Oh, I like it. And the heart is saying, stupid girl, we don't know where you got the money for this hair. It must be that uncle that you were with that you said is your uncle. That's what the heart is saying. But say, oh, I like your hair. Very nice. The heart is, is messed up. 
and it's common. Whereas we were the, we are, we are the people who we say what we mean and we mean what we say. That's who we should be. But now you've got to second guess. You need a dictionary. You need a concordance. You need a thesaurus to make sure that, that what that person says is what that person means. The heart is unclean. All these are diseased hearts. My brother and my sister. Diseased hearts. Oh, for the day of the simplicity of relationships. Where even if you don't like me, you can tell me in a nice way and explain what I've done. Oh, for the days of going back to the biblical ways of sorting life out. Oh, for the day of pushing back the culture of the day that encourages this kind of diseased behaviors and embracing the culture of the Bible. Hallelujah. And so God says, well, in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, as I end, says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Amen? So we'll find out how he will do that. Hallelujah. As I end on this note, you know, the thing with this heart is that it actually comes fundamentally flawed. Did you know that? That's just how the heart comes. And the only way that we can start the process of correction to our lives by, give, by giving him this heart to sort out. Because the heart is already bad. That's why you cannot be good enough without Christ. At some point, your heart will show you what the Bible says. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Most deceitful of all things. And so we start the journey by saying, okay, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Let me start this journey of starting to heal this heart. You know, you can't no surgeon is going to force themselves to perform heart surgery on you. How many know that the law will, 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 will come into people? If doc, suddenly as I go out, doc just grabs me and gets uh, some of our doctors here, Jibade and the rest of his medical team, to just grab me. How many know, Mark, Mark you, you come and deal with them. What, what is wrong with you? Why are you holding pastor like that? And they say we want to perform heart surgery on him. And they bundle me into a room. And I'm screaming, no, no, no. And Doc is saying, yes, we are performing heart surgery on you. It doesn't work like that. I go to the doctor. I open up myself. They check me out. Frankly, I also even sign that I agreed to it. Isn't that the case? Yeah. It's the same with our heart surgeon, the Spirit of God.
You have to open up your heart and invite him in. And maybe there's someone here in this auditorium, someone watching online, you've never asked him to come in. This is the start of the journey to having a wholesome heart if you will ask him to come in. And so if somebody wants to do that, let's pray together. You want to ask him to come into your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you. Today I open up my heart and ask you to come in to be my Lord and Savior. I give not just my life, but my heart to you. Take it. Heal it. Make it whole so that I can do what you would have me do. Thank you for receiving it. And I receive in turn the gift of your son Jesus into my heart. And by this prayer, I declare that I am now a child of yours, ready to go on the journey. In Jesus' name. And together we all say, Amen. Amen. And in our culture, when this happens, it means somebody has been added to our family. You should be celebrating. You should be celebrating. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.